So let's stand together at this time as we reverence the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 24 and verse 16 today, a message I call Fasting and Feasting. Now, the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire in the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. May God bless the reading of his word is my prayer. You may be seated. We're considering this time in our overall consideration of the life of Moses, the man of God, under the general heading of the apex of the old covenant. It brings us to this time when Moses would spend an incredible 40 days with God on Mount Sinai. And it would end with that passage then that we saw a few weeks ago uh, that is given such New Testament commentary, Exodus 34, 28. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he, that's God, talked with him. Now this story began as we saw in Exodus chapter 19. Three months had passed since they had crossed over the Red Sea dry shod and seen the armies of Pharaoh wiped out. Since that time, they've seen miracle after miracle. God has done incredible things, but now they've come to Mount Sinai, and God has come down to earth to meet with them. Verse 16, then, in Exodus 19, tells us this. It came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud. So that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked greatly. God, you see, has come down to this earth to Mount Sinai. One of the chief features is the sound of the trumpet. It's mentioned again in verse 19. This is, you see, the trumpet of God. Verse 19, and when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. So we have the word of God shouting from the mountain. We have the trumpet of God blowing. And the Lord God came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. The trump of God. That trump of God will one day sound again. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. See if this sounds familiar. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The voice of the archangel with a shout and with the trump of God. You see, it's 
just going back to what had happened when God came to Mount Sinai so long ago. The voice of God, the trump of God. We add in the voice of the archangel in this passage. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. You see, that trump of God will sound again. This is the first time it sounded. Uh, the next few chapters between Exodus 19 and 34 will give us many details about Moses' time on the mountain and his time with God afterwards. But for the most part, we're going to concentrate on this period so clearly spoken of in Exodus 24 and 34 as we see what was going on between God and Moses on the mountain. Then we'll see that famous passage where the children of Israel and Aaron decided it would be a good time to have a feast. The feast. We see the fast. Moses fasted, went without food or water for 40 days, 40 nights. And that's where we'll start with the fasting. He neither ate bread nor drank water, Exodus 34, 28. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now Moses was not the only one who fasted. This period began with the sanctification of the people where God told Moses, you sanctify the people, call them together, uh, cause them all to wash themselves and wash their clothes. And in the midst of that, he said this, uh, he said, Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Uh, so this time of sanctification would include a three-day abstinence from any kind of sexual activity, including cleansing themselves and washing their clothing in preparation for the time when God would come down and they'd see that for the first time. As a general rule, fasting in the Bible speaks of a time when we do without certain things so that we might prepare ourselves to seek God. I've heard people talking about, well, I'm fasting from milkshake. I'm fasting from popcorn. I'm fasting from TV. Honestly, it'd probably do us all a little bit of good to fast from our phones or fast from our social media at least. And I know for some of you kids, that'd be tougher than fasting from food because you would rather watch social media than eat. I've seen you do it. might do us all good to fast from those things. But primarily in Scripture, fasting referred to a time of going without all food. It could be a day, three days, five days, even 40 days. Moses went without food and water for 40 days, and that tells us something. You see, you can go without food for 40 days. You say, I'd starve to death. No, you wouldn't. Most of us could go quite a bit longer than that before starvation became an issue. Some of you might be a little struggling before to go 40 days. But we can't live that long without water. And that tells us that God had miraculously intervened in order to enable Moses to go through this. And in this incredible time then that Moses spent with God, we see several things that the Bible brings out of that experience. When Moses fasted, 
And obviously, he drew very close to God during this time. Really, that's what fasting is all about. If you're fasting to lose weight, that's not biblical fasting. And number two, if you're fasting to lose weight, it won't work. You know why? You will gain it all back with interest. Ask me how I know that. You don't fast to lose weight. We fast to draw closer to God. You know, we, we do this under a simple promise the Bible gives us. God said, draw nigh to me and I'll do what? I'll draw nigh to you. And it's a time where we set aside that natural appetite that we all have, as strong as it is, to say, I need to work on my appetite for God. And so obviously, as Moses was doing this, then he experienced a time when he drew very close to God. Now, it is possible that this represents two different 40-day periods. I've read and reread and reread these passages, and I'll be honest with you, Moses was up on the mountain and down with the people so many times, I couldn't follow the narrative. It could very well be that there were two different times. You remember one time, the first time that he went up and he put the law then on the tablets of stone? We'll see that. Uh, those tablets ended up getting broken, and so God would call him back up on the mountain. So either he interrupted that time to go down and, and deal with what was happening in the camp that we'll see in a few moments, or there were two different time periods. And, and I'm not sure which one is the case. So I just put that out to you. Either way, the application to us does not change. God and Moses had a special time of communion. It included fasting. And as a result of that, in Exodus 34 and 11, we have this magnificent statement. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses and the Lord then drew very close to each other. Second thing, then, that Moses was permitted to help others draw close to God. Verse 9, then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, as, as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand, also they saw God and did eat and drink. Now these all saw the Lord from a distance. Uh, they could not draw near to God like Moses did. But Moses was then able to bring them as close as anybody had ever come to God since the Garden of Eden. Since the fall. This was a, so Moses was close to God, but then Moses was able to help other people, bring other people to get close to God. Uh, we've, it's often been said, you can't take someone where you don't go any more than you can come back from somewhere you've never been. Wouldn't it be great to get close to God and then be able to help somebody else get close to God. Uh, you say, Brother Rich, is that really a big priority? How many of you parents want to help your children get close to God? How many of you have a neighbor, maybe a family member, an extended family member that you'd really, really like to be able to get close to God? 
Well, Moses got really close to God, and then he was able to bring others to a place where they got close to God. Moses then received a, a special awareness of the Word of God as he saw it played out, and God used him again and again and again. I could have fit out dozens of passages of Scripture between these uh, two times, from Exodus 19 to Exodus 34. There are dozens and dozens, scores, maybe hundreds of passages of Scripture where God communicated His Word to Moses over and over again. But verse 18 of chapter 31, I put this up for you. When he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the test testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Over and over again then, God gave Moses his word. And Moses got real clarity on the word of God through this time that he spent with God. It's one of the things fasting does for us. Not only does it put us in a place where we can draw close to God and then draw others close to God, but then fasting has a way of opening our minds to the truth of Scripture in our hearts. We can see it. We can perceive it. We can understand it more clearly. In Moses' case, it would be, of course, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments began with laws concerning our relationship with God. And then it progressed to uh, the laws concerning our relationships with one another. And from those then ten summary statements, uh, there would be more and more things that were added on to them. And, and things that were given in more specific uh, detail as God would give His rules, His laws governing then their relationship between man and God, their vertical relationship, and then their horizontal relationship, their relationship between men and other men, man to man, person to person. God would give Moses the plans for the tabernacle in great detail. An incredible building project we'll consider in our message next week with the message, How God Built Himself a House. See, how God enters into a building project. and Through it all, through it all, Time after time after time, the Word of God came alive in Moses, and he was able then to go down on the mountain and pass that Word along to the people. Then, after this experience, Moses was able to continue to commune with God. Exodus 34, 33. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with them. Now, this is the specific passage that Paul was referencing in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 when he talked about how this veil was still on the hearts of people. You see, after Moses had been up on the mountain with God, the Bible says that he built a, a little tent, a tabernacle. They called it the Tabernacle of Witness. And he would go out there. It was apart from the camp, away from the camp, so Moses could get out there by himself. Joshua never left it. He guarded the door of that tabernacle constantly. This was Moses' place. And whenever Moses would go out there, the Bible said the pillar of cloud would come down and rest on that little tent where Moses was. And Moses would go in and commune with God. And every time he did that, you see, he'd come out and his face would be shining. The people would see his face shining, so he'd put the veil back on until he went back in again. 
And then his face, of course, would light up again. It'd come out, and the people say it. Yeah, Moses been with God. Look at there. Look at there. Moses been. Yeah, they'd see it. Then he'd put the veil on, and he'd keep the veil on until he went back in. Now, how long that went on, I don't know. It, it appears to me that it just happened around Sinai. That it was just for a, a temporary time when, when Moses was able to have that shining face. I, I don't know if that went on all the way through the wilderness experience or not. But I know that it happened here. And I know because Paul told us that it did something to the minds of the people of Israel. Because they never really understood that that glory then was fading. And that veil then laid on, stayed on their hearts. They, they just didn't understand it. They thought that Moses received a permanent glory. And he didn't. It was temporary. It was fading. Moses go in and be with God. Put the veil on. People see his eyes shining. Then they'd keep it on until he went back in and but still we see the point. Even though it had this New Testament correlation and even though there was a problem, we can obviously see that Moses both needed and received regular times of communion and fellowship with God. Times when he could get away. Times when he could get alone between him and God. So Moses then was able to intercede for the people. We'll see the reason for this intercession in just a few moments. But for now, Exodus 32, 10. Now, therefore, let me alone. God says that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. And I'll make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? And the end result of it then is verse 14. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. The Lord heeded the voice of Moses when he interceded for them. God had pronounced his intention then to wipe out all the people who were sinning against him. And instead, God said, I'll raise up a people from you, Moses. But God, oh, Moses said, but God, you, you, don't do this. Remember your covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's a magnificent story of Moses interceding with God on the behalf of somebody else. You may not realize it today, but there will come a time in your life when you will desperately want to intercede with God on the behalf of somebody else. You'll want it more than anything you've ever wanted for yourself. You'll pray harder and more fervently for somebody else than you ever did for yourself. Because that's just the way it works. And out of this time then of fasting with God, Moses was able to intercede for him. And in fact, not once, but several times. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 17, Moses had told them, Okay, I'm not going to wipe them out now, but I'm still going to judge them. And he did. Remember that those people who were down there sinning against God, not one of them were going to make it to the promised land. Not a one. God had marked their sin, and he would send plagues upon them. They were all going to die in the wilderness. That, that was the story that played out. 
But still, we, we see then how that God had told them, even after he had said, okay, I'm not going to kill them right away. But I'll tell you this much. He said, Moses, I, I'll send my angel down to be with them. I, I, I can't be around that close to these people anymore. I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses interceded again. And in fact, he would say, he said, God, if you don't go with us, then Lord, don't take us from here. If you don't go with us, God, then we won't go. And the Lord again heard the voice of Moses and interceded for him. And so Exodus 33 and verse 17 says, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight. And I know you by name. You see, out of that close experience then came times when Moses could intercede for the people. And then I had to put this one in because it's just such an incredible story. Moses then, through this intervening time, through this time of fasting and, and this time of fellowship with God, Moses received an incredible manifestation of God's glory. It was long about this time when all this stuff was happening. We'll see in a moment or two. And all these things were going on. Uh, Moses said, Lord, just show me your glory. I, 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 I need some face time. That's what he said for God. That's Since I'm so close, I'm here, you're here. It would be a great time for us to have a little face-to-face. Show me your glory. I, I want the whole thing. Oh, but God responded. He said, now, you cannot, verse 20 of Exodus 33, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. What a beautiful story. We still sing about it. The Lord said, here's a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, and so it shall be while my glory passes by that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. You do see, of course, how close Moses was to the hand of God. (laughs) Yeah. I could preach on this for a month, folk. I I just can't. And then I'll take away my hand and you'll see my back. But my face shall not be seen. Moses got an incredible vision of the glory of God. So that's the, the fasting time. But that time of Moses with the Lord then is a story that is woven around one of the most incredible events in the Bible. And that is the feasting. And here it is in Exodus 32 and 6. Then they arose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. It has only been a few weeks at best. If this was all that same 40-day period, it was only a few days before. When Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, his two boys, Moses, and the 70 elders of Israel had went up on the mountain and they all saw the glory of God. They saw, it had to be from a distance, I know. They could, they could see his feet. He was standing on a place they said was like sapphire. 
They saw the clarity of him. Somehow they were able to see his form, but it was perfect, almost invisibility, I guess. You'll have to read that passage and see what it was they saw. But all I can tell you is what the Bible says. They saw God and they ate and drank. They shared a meal with God himself. Only a few days before. Not counting the walking through the Red Sea, not counting the getting the manna every day, not counting the water from, from all those places they got water from, not counting all the other things that they had done, seen the uh, mighty armies of Egypt annihilated by the power of God. They'd seen all of that, but now they've seen the Lord and shared a meal with Him. You'd think their lives would be changed forever after that, wouldn't you? Nope. No. Here's how it played out. Verse 1 of Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Aaron said to them, uh, Did I mention Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool, and he made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And they brought burnt offerings, peace offerings, and the people sat down to drink. And rose up to play. This was at the time that God said to Moses. Moses you need to go down and take care of them people you brought out of Egypt. <laughs> uh, so Moses starts down the mountain. And of course Joshua's there keeping guard. And Joshua's concerned. He said Moses there's a sound of war in the camp. And Moses said oh, this isn't a shout of victory. This isn't a cry of defeat. I hear them singing. And then he saw them dancing. And that's when Moses lost it. He, he, he had those tablets of stone written with the very finger of God and they were thrown down because Moses saw their dancing. And that's the passage, by the way, that I heard more times than I can recount talking about why that we don't believe in dancing. Y'all think I'm making that up, don't you? No, this is it. This is about all you got. I heard that passage at a couple of youth rallies that I can remember. Talked about it in seminary. And oh, we're looking for it's what happens when you start dancing. Oh, we're against it. You say, Brother Rich, do you ever preach that sermon? No, I watched Footloose. <laughs> I decided I'm not going to be that preacher. So, uh, I think you needed a little bit stronger evidence than that. And I was always the one that brought up David dancing before the Lord. You know, I just always thought there's got to be something to it. Anyway, Moses will go straight to Aaron. Aaron, what has happened? The reason was, of course, Aaron was left in charge. Moses up on the mountain with God. Aaron's in charge. Aaron said, the people demanded that I make him a god. And so he says, the people brought me a bunch of gold. 
And I took it and I threw it in the fire. And this calf come walking out. <laughs> Not making that up. Mo, uh, Aaron made it up. <laughs> it's, it's in the text. Uh, that was a big old whopper of a lie. Reminding us of that ancient principle that to err is human and to lie to cover it up is too. I'm telling you, Aaron was lying big time. See, this was what was happening then that prompted the time of intercession. How Moses interceded on the behalf of the people. A couple of passages, I'll just read them to you this morning. They speak for themselves. Psalm 106 and 23. Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he destroy him. When the Bible talks about that one to stand in the gap, to make up the breach, to make up the hedge, that was Moses. Tellingly, Ezekiel 22 and 30 says, God speaking here too, I sought for a man among them that they should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. It's a sad day when a nation needs somebody to stand in the gap, to make up the hedge, to intercede. And I'll just throw this one at you this morning. If you're not interceding to God for the United States of America, please start. Because our nation needs intercessors. To cry out to God, be merciful, O Lord. Give us time. We'll close out then today with a few observations. Isn't it amazing the kind of experiences that we can have with God and remain unchanged? You see, no matter what kind of experience we have with God on the mountain, there is no once-for-all change in the Christian life. Yes, we are saved once for all. You don't have to be saved again. But there's no once-for-all change. And if we're looking for that kind of experience, it's not going to come. It didn't come then It's not coming now. It is here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, line upon line. God changes us, is making us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's no once for all experience. Remember that this passage is held up to us as a somber warning in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10 and 7. And do not become idolaters as were some of them as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Direct quote. Direct quote from Exodus. We can then, because the New Testament warns us about it, we can replicate their experience. We can have some incredible times of worship with God. And then I find ourselves out playing the fool, just like they did. And the Bible warns us, don't get caught up in idolatry. Don't get a false concept of God because that will lead you. It'll lead me. It'll lead anybody into making very, very bad choices and decisions. While they were 
worshiping this golden calf that Aaron made. The mountain was still burning. The smoke was still billowing. The ground beneath their feet was still shaking. Moses was on the mountain with God. It's amazing. Adrian Rogers once said that the average American Christian today worships their plays and plays at worship. I'm not sure what all he meant by that. But I do know that it's possible for us to let our worship of God end up looking a whole lot more like what was going on down in the valley than what was going up on the mountain. We can enjoy Him and enjoy His glory. We can praise Him. We can glorify Him. We can honor Him. And we can worship Him. But every now and then, and actually pretty regularly, we all need to remind ourselves of the awesome, incredible holiness of Almighty God. And the God who says, be ye holy, for I am holy. Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In Matthew chapter 6, he talked about three different issues. He said, when you give, he said, don't give like the hypocrites do. Sound in a trumpet so everybody will know how much you gave. Don't give like that. Uh, he said, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites do, just going on and on and on and over and over and over the same old things again. Don't pray that way. For pretense then, making long prayers. When you give, when you pray. Number three, when you fast. When you fast. Not if, when. When you fast. Every time I preach on fasting, I, I, I feel like I, I, I'm, I'm bringing up something that people say, oh man, I, I don't know about that fasting stuff. Listen, it's all over the Bible. It's all in the New Testament. Say, so I don't know if I could go 40 days. You probably could. Try one. Try one. Try three. Try five. I can assure you, you won't die from it. And this is a time where we dedicate ourselves in strong spiritual discipline so that we take that time where we would usually be eating and we spend that time with God. We seek Him. We give ourselves a, a more disciplined time of Bible study and prayer. And during this time, we see the benefits. Moses drew closer to God. He helped others draw closer to God. He got a unique understanding of God's word. He continued in his communion with God so they understood this wasn't a one-time event. I need this over and over. He was able then to intercede for the people, and he saw the glory of God. Those are the benefits of fasting. One more thing. The trump of God will sound again and what a glorious thing it is to be on this side of the new testament <laughs> on this side of calvary rather to be in the new covenant the new testament because where the trumpet of god blew on sinai it was blowing to say you people stay away god was saying i'm holy you're not holy if anybody even touches this mountain i'll kill him god said it read the passages 
And so while the trumpet of God was saying, stay away, and the people all exceedingly feared and, and quaked. But now we're in the New Testament. You know what the trumpet of God is going to say to us? <laughs> yeah, come home. Is that just going to be one guy going up there? It'll be us all meeting the Lord in the air. All of God's people. All of us. The dead in Christ rise first. We which are alive be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. The trumpet of God will sound again. And we'll be going home forever. So shall we ever be with the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us. Are you ready for that trumpet? Are you ready for that trumpet? Will it call you to that time to ever be with the Lord or will you be facing eternal separation from him are you ready if not I plead with you the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved call up whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and right where you sit You can ask Jesus Christ to save you, to believe on him and what he did for you on Calvary, to forgive you of your sins, and he will, and he will. Let's stand together, please.